Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast for Book 6, Chapter 10. Tony now sees herself as a burden with no use to the family. How right slash wrong is her thinking? It seems wrong for her to think that way, you know, impulsive. That's the, the gut reaction. Um, but also, it does seem reasonable that she feels that way. You know, I kind of feel like it's reasonable for her to feel that way given the situation she's in, even though it's completely unfair and also untrue. But you would feel a little stuck, you know, looking at it through the lens of that time and place and that society, the system that they live within. Um, you know, it's not like today where you can have a few marriages and divorces and still just kind of get about your life as normal and be whatever you want to be. Back then, it was all very much about perception, public perception. Hajir Moron says, Though her ideas about nobility are a bit pie in the sky, which she admits, she is right about Tom and what made the Buddenbrooks great. Tom is more concerned about the family looks, as Tony put it, looking tip-top, all while ignoring his family's happiness. And even creating divisions. Sure, Christian is a bit of a layabout, but in ignoring his brother's happiness and who he just is, he created a rift in the family. As he's now doing the same with Tony. Oh, just ignore your husband's attempted rape. Tony's right, her father maintained the family not just through his successful and respectable business doings, but also by having his family's happiness be his utmost concern. He supported Tony in her first divorce and obliged the youthful indiscretions of Christian. Tom will probably be the main culprit in the downfall of this family. Interesting, yeah. He's the one trying hardest to um, maintain the reputation. But also, I think it's kind of telling that he's so worried about what his siblings are doing and the negative attention that will bring on the business, you know? And it's the business that he runs. And so I feel like he's not doing a good job of running the business and he feels like it's on a razor's edge. It could crumble at any minute. And he's sort of already scapegoating out his failure on his siblings and going, oh, yeah, but you got divorced and you, you know, you're a a rake or whatever (laughs) word he would use on, uh, what's his face, his other brother, Christian. So um, I think it's kind of telling that he just keeps blaming his siblings on the the, the, the fall of the company when they don't have that much to do with it other than sharing the family name of the family business. Acoustic Eel says, Tom sounds like he will slide, sorry, side with the family appearances and social standing over his sister's happiness, and that's not a great look. I thought his strategy to joke with Tony to keep her mood up might work for a couple of paragraphs, but when he realised, when we realised how upset she really was, I knew it wouldn't work. Yeah, it was almost sweet at that point when he was joking and trying to keep it light. But then it became like, no, he's literally trying to, like, keep it light. Like, he's trying to undermine the importance of what happened. And, like, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Make light of it, I guess. Because he wanted her to sweep it under the rug and, you know, not let the public any, you know, no one knows yet. So it's almost like it didn't happen. Uh, which is just sickening, stupid. So, Tom is becoming less and less likable. Not that I ever particularly thought he was very likable, but don't you feel like he's just very unlikable? He's too 
um, pretentious would be a good word for it in the literal sense like he really is like kind of pretending to be something that he isn't let's read chapter 11 it's the last chapter in volume 1 so um, it's the last chapter of um, what are we in book 6 and also the last chapter of volume 1 so it's almost like we've finished a book the first book in the book Tony lost no time. She went resolutely about her affair in the hope of quieting qu- quieting her, of bringing her slowly to a different frame of mind. The consul said but little. He asked only one thing, that she should be very quiet and stop entirely in the house and Erica as well. Perhaps it would blow over. The town did not need to know. The family Thursday afternoon was put off on some pretext. Excuse me while I have a drink. But on the very next day, she wrote to Dr. Giusecchi and summoned him to Meng Street. She received him alone in the middle corridor room on the first floor where a fire was laid, and she had arranged a heavy table with ink and writing materials and a quantity of foolscape paper from the office. They sat down in two easy chairs. Dr. Giusecchi, said Tony. She folded her arms, flung back her head and looked at the ceiling while she spoke. You are a man of experience, both professionally and personally. I can speak openly with you and thereupon she happened in her thereupon she revealed to him the whole story about Babette and what had happened in her bedchamber sleeping chamber sorry what how do I read that so wrong Dr. Jaseki regretted being obliged to explain to her that neither the affair on the stairs nor the insult she had undoubtedly received the precise nature of which she hesitated to divulge was sufficient ground for the divorce very good, she said, thank you. And then at her request, she gave he gave an exposition of the existing legal grounds for divorce and an even longer discourse after it, which had for its subject matter the law touching dowry rights. She listened with open mind and strained attention and then with cordial thanks dismissed Dr. Giuseppe from the time be- for the time being. She went downstairs and demanded audience of her brother in his private office. Thomas, she said, please write to the man at once. I do not like to mention his name. As far as the money goes, I am perfectly informed on that subject. Let him speak. Me, he shall never see again, whatever he decides. If he agrees to a divorce, we will ask him to give an accounting end and restore my dollars. If he refuses, we need not be discouraged, for, as you probably know, Pamanita's right to my dollars is, legally speaking, a property right. We grant that, but on the other hand, thank goodness I have certain material rights on my side. The consul walked up and down with his hands behind his back, his shoulders twitching nervously. Tony's face, as she uttered the word dos, was too unutterably self-satisfied. He had no time. Heaven knew he had no time. Let her have patience and wait and bethink herself a hundred times. His nearest duty was a journey to Hamburg. Indeed, he must go the very next day. For the purpose of a personal interview with Christian, Christian had written for help, for money, which would have to come out of the Frau Consul's inheritance. His business was in frightful condition. He was in constant difficulties, yet he seemed to amuse himself royally and went everywhere to theatres, restaurants and concert halls to judge from the debts now coming to light, which he had been able to pile up on the credit of his family name. He had been living far, far beyond his means. 
And they knew in Ming Street and at the club, yes, the whole town knew who was responsible. It was a certain female, a certain Aline Puvigel, who lived alone with her two pretty children. Christian was not the only Hamburg businessman who possessed her favours and spent money on her. In short, Tony's intentions in the matter of her divorce were not the only dark spot in the console sky, and the journey to Hamburg was pressing. Besides, it was altogether likely that they would hear from her promenader. The console went to Hamburg and came back angry and depressed. No word had come from Munich, and he felt obliged to take the first step. He wrote, wrote rather coldly, with curt condescension to this effect. Anthony, during her life with Permanida, has been subjected to great disappointments. That would not be denied. Without going into detail, it was evident that she could never find happiness in this marriage. Her wish that it should be dissolved must be justified to the mind of any reasonable person, and her determination not to return to Munich was entirely unshakable. And he put the question as to what were her Permanida's feelings in view of the facts which had been stated. There were more days of suspense, and then came Herpermanida's reply. He answered as no one had expected him to answer, not Dr. Josecki, nor the Frau Consul, nor Thomas, nor Antony herself. He agreed quite simply to a divorce. He wrote that he deeply regretted what had happened, but that he respected Antony's wishes, as he saw that he and she had never hit it off. If it were true that she had suffered during those years through him, he begged her to forget and forgive. As he would probably never see her and Erica again, he sent them both his hearty good wishes for all happiness on this earth, and he signed himself Alois Permanida. In a postscript, he offered to make immediate restitution of the dowry. He had enough without it to lead a life free from care. He did not require to have notice given. For business, there was none to wind up. The house belonged to him, and the money was ready at any time. Tony felt a slight twinge of shame and was almost inclined for the first time to admit that Permanida's indifference to money matters might have something good about it. Now it was Dr. Giuseppe's turn again. He communicated with the husband, and a plea of mutual incompatibility was set up as grounds for a divorce. The hearing began, Tony's second divorce case. She talked about it night and day, and the consul lost his temper several times. Tony was in no state to share his feel his feelings. She was entirely taken up with words like tangibilities, improvabilities, accessions, productivity, dowry rights and the like, which she used in season and out of season with marvellous fluency, her shoulders slightly raised. At one point in Dr. Jacecki's long disquisitions had made a great impression on her. It had to do with treasure found in any piece of property that has constituted part of a dowry, which was to be regarded as a component part of the dowry to be liquidated if the marriage came to an end. About this treasure, which was of course non-existent, she talked to every soul she knew, Ida Jungmann, Uncle Justus, Paul Clothilde, the Broad Street Buddenbrooks, and they, when they heard how matters stood, just folded their hands in their laps and looked at each other in speechless joy that this satisfaction, too, had been vouchsafed them. Therese Richbrot was told of it. Erica had gone to stay at the late, sorry, stay at the pension again. And Madame Kesselson too, though this last for more than one reason, understood not a single word. 
Then came the day when the divorce was pronounced, when the last formalities were gone through, and Tony asked Thomas for the family papers and set down his last event with her own hand. Yes, it was done. All that remained was to get used to it. She did it gallantly. She bore with unscathed dignity the tiny dagger thrusts of the ladies of Broad Street. She met the Hagenstroms and the Mollendorfs on the street and looked with chilling indifference straight over their heads, and she quite gave up going into society, the more easily that it had for some years past forsaken her mother's house for her brother's. She had her own immediate family, the Frau Consul, Tom and Goethe. She had Ida Jungmann and her mother, friend Sesame Reachbrot. And she had Erica, upon whose future she probably built her own last secret hopes, and upon whose aristocratic upbringing she expended much care and thought. Thus she lived, and thus time went on. Later, in some way, that was never quite clear, there came to certain members of the family knowledge of that word, the desperate word which had escaped from her permanent on that never-to-be-forgotten night. What was it then that he had said? Go to the devil, you filthy, sprat-eating slut. And thus Tony Buddenbrook's second marriage came to an end. End of Volume 1 Alright folks, there we go, it's the end of Volume 1. Tony's a filthy sprat-eating slut, apparently. <laughs> Hell of an insult. Cool. Uh, have your say about the chapter and, I guess, the book up to this point. That's, that's a good point to sort of reflect back on the whole of Volume 1. So, see you in the comments and I'll see you tomorrow.